0: I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country, focused on specific topics, designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Coffee with Coaches, presented by a Quick Timeout podcast. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors at Dr. Dish Basketball. Their shooting machines are the best in the market, uh, which is why a lot of the top programs in the country are with Dr. Dish. And so right now, if you mention Quick Time Out, you'll receive $300 off the Dr. Dish Rebel All-Star and CT models. So visit DrDishBasketball.com to find out more. We are joined today by ESPN's Chris Spatola. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, guys. Great to see your bright, shining faces here this morning. Yeah, bright and early. So in the summers, I work for Chris down at the Duke basketball camp. And obviously with COVID this summer, there were no camps. So this is uh, my excuse to hang out with him a little bit this summer and get to see him again. For those who don't really know your background, can you kind of give them just a brief rundown of where you've been and how you've gotten to this point? Yeah,
1: I uh, played basketball at Army. I was recruited there. was never really... A place i had ever dreamed of going to but they recruited me and as i'm sure a lot of folks you know i wanted to play division one basketball and it was my opportunity so i ended up going there uh, because 9-11 happened my senior year so the the army that i decided to join and go into was was far different when i graduated but uh, ended up deploying going to combat and then uh, at one point i got back from iraq Knew I wanted to get out of the military, and, and Coach K had a spot open on his staff, his coaching staff, a GA spot. So I ended up uh, going and working for him. Uh, this was in 2007. Great time there, five, six years there with him, and we won a national championship in 2010. Uh, got to do the Olympics and, and all of that uh, with his coaching staff. Decided that the coaching route just wasn't a long-term thing that I, I really wanted to do. Uh, a lot of you would understand perhaps why just given the tempo and all of that. So I ended up getting out, but I wanted to stay in the game and ended up hooking on with, uh, with CBS. I was with them for a while, uh, Sirius XM Radio, and then ultimately signed with ESPN a few years later. And here I am sitting with you fine people. So it's uh, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride.
2: Hey, we're going to be talking about championship culture today. And obviously just hearing your story and your background, where you've been, you've been involved with so many great cultures, whether it was Army or Duke or USA Basketball. Um. so i just kind of wanted to hear a little bit what is maybe one or two things that you've seen a common factor a common denominator between those organizations that makes them who they are
1: every team is going to have a culture and it's either going to be by design or it's going to be by default you're going to have a culture and i think you know the best teams i've been a part of whether it was the army whether it's uh you know at duke whether it's the olympic experience whether it's now with ESPN, I, I think the leaders in those cultures, and it's not just the coaches uh, or the administrators, it is players as well. I mean, it's it's people within the organization as well who help develop that culture. And so I think, you know, how you go about doing that and there's, you know, I'm a storyteller and there's some things, some, some you know, experiences I had both with Duke and then with the Olympic experience that I think kind of determine that you know how how both coaches and and players within those organizations can help um, manipulate those cultures so that you're designing the culture that you want to have rather than it defaulting to something that is destructive and and then ends up losing games
0: one of the things that's really interesting just the even in the groups that you've mentioned is the fact that like not everybody's a good fit for those places. I mean, even let's just talk about like army. And I think maybe that, that kind of like bothers people sometimes. I mean, you speak to this from the army perspective itself. Some people would be bad to go there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even from a coach looking to recruit somebody to come to their team, whether that is army or what coach does there, or let's even talk about like the USA basketball team, because when it comes time for them to pick a squad every four years or in this case, five years. There are certain guys that are just kind of. No, I don't think that's going to be the best fit for them. Mm-hmm. What What are they looking for? What should they be looking for in those things? Because I think that's one of those things. Like we think that we know, like that'll be a good guy. That That wouldn't be. But like, really, can you Can you see like this guy has the potential to be something for our For our culture? You know, I think so many guys,
1: and I could go down the list of guys. You know, at Duke, and then even when When we first started the Olympic experience guys who weren't completely bought in you know what i mean and so i think i think first of all coaches need to understand don't write somebody off right at the beginning allow them to evolve and develop allow them to assimilate into your culture i'll give you i'll give you a couple examples you know, this idea of players coaching players we all know it in theory and we all know that it's right but the question is how do you get to that point because you're you're talking about a generation now that doesn't really confront one another they don't necessarily talk to one another And until you have a player who is not necessarily parroting, but is is translating and saying the things that the coach is saying, you're never really going to reach a full potential. So so how do you get to that point? And it doesn't always have to be bad. Now, there's no question we have a generation that doesn't necessarily confront negatively. Like, hey, man, get your head out of your rear end and start playing better. That's one way to confront. There's also the positive reinforcement. And I'll, I'll give you two examples. So in 2010, this was when Kevin Durant was really ascending. I mean, he was becoming this great player, but he hadn't quite gotten to that point yet. And he was really insecure about who he was, which is crazy to think. And this is where sometimes coaches may look at a player and think that he has it figured out. Here's this, you know, seven foot tall guy who can play like a guard. We all know Kevin Durant, but he didn't really believe in himself. And so one of the things that, that, coach K during that 2010 world championship team. And remember that was after the Beijing Olympics and all the main guys weren't playing in 2010 over in Turkey. So it ended up being Kyrie and Kevin Durant, Kevin Love, like kind of the second tier guys. Kevin Durant was by far the best player that year. We knew it. Everybody knew it. He didn't really know it. And so the question was how to get him to believe that. And the best way that coach K saw that was by getting the other players on the team to tell him that and and to to have them express that to him. And so I I remember, for example, in a meeting, we were watching film and, and Kevin, when Kevin Durant during that world championship experience, and of course it has manifested since, but he would catch the ball in the wing. And so often. He knew it was his moment. Like we needed him to make a big play. And we played close games during that that summer. He'd start handling and going to work. And and when, when he was doing that, it was a good thing. But he needed to know that. And so he asks in a meeting, he's playing it on the tape, and he rewinds it back three times without saying anything. And then he turns to Russell Westbrook, who was sitting in the back, and he goes, Russ, when Kevin starts doing that, what do you think? And I think everybody in the room was thinking that Coach's point was, oh, it needs to move the ball. It needs the ball sticking, whatever. And Russ goes, when Kevin starts doing that, I think we're going to win. And that really changed the tone of our team. And really, I think, changed the culture of our team just in that one phrase coming from a player to a player. I'll give you another example. And this is one of the best examples. It's really one of the reasons this is a Duke example. One of the reasons we won the national championship in 2010. So at the beginning of the year, you know, we didn't really know how good we were going to be. We had a pretty old team, but, you know, part of it was we had these two big guys, Brian Zubek and Lance Thomas, who hadn't really – they were good players, but they hadn't really reached a full potential. And we had these two young big guys, Mason Plumley and Miles Plumley. One was a freshman, one was a sophomore, who were really athletic. They were, Coach K thought, the future of of Duke basketball, which they ended up kind of becoming – so at the beginning of the year, Coach K and, and with our entire staff were sitting in the in the in the meeting room. And Brian and Lance are at the end of the table. Both of them are seniors. And he says to the two of them, he says, Look, we're gonna need you guys this year. You guys are important to us, but you're not gonna start. I'm not starting you this year. We're gonna go in the direction of these two young big guys. We we just feel like that's you know, we're better off doing that, but we need you guys. And he said to them, he says, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to show up every day and be all over those two young big guys. Make sure they show up on time. Make sure they're practicing hard. Stay after practice. Work with them. I am putting you two in charge of those two young big guys. Now, if I were a senior and my coach was telling me that, that I'm not going to start because he wants to start these two young big guys, I'd be pissed off forget this, man, I'm out of here. And so to your question about, you know, how do you know the right guys? Well, how do they respond to something like that? Well, let me tell you how those two guys responded. Brian Zubek and Lance Thomas showed up every day and they kicked the living crap out of those two young big guys in a good way. They never stopped chatting with them in practice. They never stopped pulling them aside. They stayed after practice with Wojo and did drills for an hour after practice they worked those two young big guys like crazy. And you know what ended up happening? Miles and Mason got better, but you know who ended up getting better? Brian and Lance. And so by the end of the year, I would say probably midseason, both Brian and Lance got injected back into the starting lineup because we were better with those two guys in the starting lineup. And we ended up winning a national championship. And I would tell you as somebody who's a small part of that whole thing, those two guys – were the reason we won that national championship. Don't tell John Shire that, but that's mm-hmm. a fact. All right. That is a fact. Those two guys, by endeavoring to make their teammates better, by endeavoring to make two other guys better, two young guys better, instead of going into a shell, they endeavor to make those two guys better and they in turn themselves got better and we won a national championship.
0: Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program, as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get huddle assist. That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit huddle.com. That's huddle.com to learn more.
2: You know, you're talking so much about buy-in and fit and what those guys sacrificed, and what those guys did, not, not from a selfish perspective, but they did it because they wanted to make the team better. They wanted to make other people better. And I think when you think of Duke basketball specifically, you always see the brotherhood and when guys do that for one another, I think that is the first step in creating that brotherhood. And can you just talk a little bit about the brotherhood mentality and maybe what that means on a deeper level? you know, even off the court or, you know, when you have that culture of brotherhood.
1: You know, obviously the fact that Coach K has been there for as long as he has, it, it helps continuity. So, I mean, that's, you can't ignore that fact. And not every program or coach is, is allowed to have that type of continuity. Um, success obviously helps that. But, you know, I, I think, and Coach K is a military guy like I am. And I, you know, there's this sense in the military that um, you are so dependent on the person to your right or your left. And, you know, in order to beat whatever it is in front of you, you need that person to your right and to your left. And there are shared experiences there. And, and, you know, I always say the most important component to any team, to any culture is trust. But you can't just manufacture trust. There's no fairy dust that you can just sprinkle on on people and say, "Okay, now we trust each other. It's it's built through time, through uh, dealing with adversity with one another. You know, there's there's two kinds of trust. There's an ethical trust, okay, which is the repeated experience uh, of you doing what you say you're going to do. So if, you know, if if I say I'm going to be out there and I'm going to hedge on a pick and roll, then every single time there's that pick and roll, I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be hard hedging. So there's that that sort of, and then we develop a trust because you tell me you're going to do something and then you do it. And then there's the a technical trust which is basically you doing your job and what is your performance so the guy the the player who shows up every day and he gives you 10 and 10 you can you know every day this is what you're going to get from Andrew Wingreen or Tony Miller you're going to get your 10 and 10 that's a repeated experience of somebody who's doing their job so what you say and then what you end up doing that's how you build trust over time. And, and I think that's where the brotherhood, it's, it's established. You know, there's this continuity of guys in this day and age, they know what Grant Hill did. They know what he was about. And it's not just you know stories are told on teams. You guys know this. Locker room to locker room, those, those stories are told. And I think one of the big things, one of the big things, you know, and one of the reasons that Coach K has been in this so long And been able to stay relevant and and successful for so long is his tone has changed. So he doesn't talk to his teams now like he did 25 years ago. And he didn't talk to his USA team the way he talks to his Duke team. Tone matters. But you can never change your tone or compromise your tone for your value system, which is to say, what Coach K believed in 25 years ago. He still believes in now and he's not compromising that, but the way in which he expresses those values, his authenticity towards those values has, has not changed. It has not compromised and how coaches can figure that out. This is what I believe. So how can I fit what I believe and what I think successful teams need to be into the group that I have? And I think, The fact that coach has done that over a period of time, he's built trust within his players and that value system. So that the things that coach K believed and what he, he had his teams believe 30 years ago, his teams now believe the same thing. Look each other in the eye, tell each other the truth, you know, all of those things, they're the same. So that's how you maintain a brotherhood is that the value system hasn't changed. Now you could tell stories, the guys from 30 years ago, can laugh at the guys now and say, man, you have it a lot easier. We, he ran us till we puked. Those things are – that's going to change over time. But I think the value system and not compromising what you believe is very important.
0: I want to take the things that you just said and apply it to the USA basketball scenario because I think it's interesting. You just talked about the longevity of Coach there. And so he's well-established and has some credibility from that perspective of just having been there so long. But when he got to that USA basketball team – for those that don't remember things hadn't gone well the, yeah. the period before that, and so you're almost kind of like re I mean, that's what they said, Colangelo, and he both said multiple occasions is we're trying to, to re establish something that has been lost. And when you're bringing in so many guys that are at that level, the five stars, they're the best of the best. How did he create buy in and establish something so quickly? And I know they had their bumps that first, you know, that first round that he was with them to an extent, but like he create, they created something that was really good. Is there, are there any stories that kind of back up the kinds of things that you just talked about with, with yeah. his program?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question because he, you know, again, he had to reinvent his tone. He was, he wasn't going to talk to those players, those NBA guys, the way he did his Duke team, but but the values and the things he believed in were not going to be compromised. There were a lot of those guys early on who did not buy in right away to Coach K. He was a college coach, you know. Some of them probably had their opinions about Duke. Uh, they just they were young and immature. And I think as that, you know, the evolution of a LeBron James, for example, will be told in terms of his years and and his maturity and how it grew. Early in that process, and this was this was I think the second year. Anyway, one of the years we're we're gearing up to play Argentina, and we had just. We had just played a game the day before, and in the NBA, they, they don't do shoot-arounds, okay? And I think this was during, I think, a world championship. It was something where we were playing back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. so it wasn't the Olympics, but it was early in the process. And LeBron was the best player. LeBron was the alpha dog. And, you know, as we all know, hopefully you have the belief that you have to coach your best players. And your, your best, you have to make your best players adhere to what your value system is. And if your best players are truly great – they're going to then impart that wisdom to the rest of the team. So Coach K knew that he had to get LeBron, and it was not going to be easy. So in the NBA, they don't have shoot-arounds, okay? So these guys, you had to, in order to do the the, the back-to-back and in order to do this, and Coach K, he was of the belief that he was going to prepare his teams a certain way. So we're coming over, we're, we're leaving a game, And, you know, this is kind of midway through the the experience that we're having. And you could kind of hear it in the back of the bus. We were going to have a shoot around the next day and the guys didn't want to have a shoot around. Well, LeBron didn't want to have a shoot around. So you could hear him in the back of the bus chirping and, you know, this is BS. And he was he was saying it loudly enough so that we could hear it up front. So God bless him. Guys get off the bus, and Coach K is waiting right at the door of the bus. LeBron comes down the steps, and Coach K says, LeBron, I need to speak to you for a moment here. So he pulls him aside, and one of the things Coach K learned is you couldn't, you couldn't address those guys in front of the whole group you know, because you couldn't embarrass them and all of that. It was one of the things he figured out. So he pulls LeBron aside, so nobody is there with him. He tells us this story afterwards, and I'm telling you right now this is the first time LeBron was ever talked to this way. He says, LeBron, you can either be here or not, but we are doing a shoot around tomorrow. And here's why we're doing a shoot around tomorrow. And he explained the reasons why we're playing Argentina. We have to win this game. We need to prepare. There are certain things we need to go over and I want to do it over at the gym. You have to trust that I'm not going to, we're not going to run you. I'm not going to work you that hard, but I have to trust that you're going to have my back on this. And he talked to a man to man. He talked to him face to face. He looked him in the eye. He didn't ignore it. He didn't say, well, oh, that's LeBron. So I have to compromise my belief and he said, no, no, I'm gonna confront this and we're gonna, we're gonna get on the same page. And in doing that, their relationship was so much better moving forward. So again, you gotta pick your spots, you gotta figure out the right tone, but you can't compromise your value system. Here's another example. We're in a film session, another Kevin Durant story. So we're going through the film session and Kevin Durant always used to sit like this. He'd like sit there and he wasn't on his phone. He just would sit like this. I'm sure you guys have players who like their body language. You feel like they're telling you one thing. Well, rather than jump him in the meeting, which is what coach K would have done with his Duke team, rather than jump him in the meeting, he waits. And as the guys are leaving the room after the meeting, he says, Kevin, I need to talk to you for a second. And he brings him up. He says, Kevin, you know, when I'm talking to you, I need you to look me in the eye. I need you to look up. I need you to show me your face. I need you to to show me that you're hearing what I'm saying. So again, the value system was not compromised. Players are going to look at me. I don't care if you're Michael Jordan. I don't care if you're Kevin Durant. I don't care if you're Miles Plumlee. You're going to look me in the eye. But how do we get to that point? And also, let me try to understand where Kevin is coming from. So you say, Kevin, I need you to look me in the eye. It seems like you're being disrespectful. And Kevin said, genuinely, Oh no, Coach! I'm not being disrespectful. I'm hearing every word you're saying. You said this, and then he started repeating some of the things. He's like, I just, you know, I just have a hard time sitting still. And and Coach said, okay, I got you. We're on the same page. I know where you're coming from. But here's the thing: I need you to look up, and I need you to look at me. So you know, that's just kind of again figuring out those moments where you can impart your wisdom and your value system, but doing it in a way where the tone is going to match their their hearing you.
2: Chris, wanted to ask you a little bit about your time at Army. I know, mm-hmm. you know, it's a a little different culture there being a service school, and obviously you you spent time overseas and in, in combat and everything, but can you talk a little bit about culture from the state? Maybe some things you learned through basketball at Army, but some things that uh, you took with you, maybe a story you had from a former teammate, you know, overseas, just uh from, from your experience at Army.
1: Yeah, you know. The the big thing that that I learned early on there, West Point is set up to make you fail, and it's it's made in some cases it's it's set up to make you fail epically, for obvious reasons. You know because the, the adversity that you're going to experience ultimately in in combat is, um, you know it's 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 going to create adverse situations, and and how we deal with that is is important. Um, and it's also designed to to make you you know lean again on that on that person to your your you're left or your right you know I, I'll tell you a story we we were we, we were going we were out on a patrol so over in Iraq when you know the enemy didn't wear uniforms so you know you didn't know who the enemy was until they actually shot at you or shot a rocket at you and and so one of our you know you call them counter mortar operations uh when a rocket would land in your area that's when you knew you were being attacked and then you'd it was called a qrf quick reaction force and you'd head on out and, you know, try to find whoever shot at you or shot the rocket at you. So we're, uh, you know, we're, we're going on our, on our counter mortar operation. We're, we're heading out and we're sitting there and we see this, we're sitting there on the corner and we see this, uh, this child, I mean, he's like, he's gotta be 10 years old, probably younger than that. And he's given us the finger, and we're getting ready to turn into this neighborhood. And I, I turned to the, the, my platoon sergeant sitting next to me. I said, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea. He goes, what do you mean, sir? I said, that, you see that? He's giving us the finger. I I don't think, I don't think he's really, uh, I don't think this is a good neighborhood. To be. And my platoon sergeant goes, no, no, this is precisely the neighborhood we want to be in. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I just went to West Point to play basketball. I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Now I'm driving into a neighborhood where there's a kid giving us the bird. What are we doing here? And I looked to, I looked to, to my platoon sergeant, a guy who had been in the Army for tw- over 25 years, just really smart guy, obviously unafraid. And if, if he had held his hand up, his hand would have been as steady as anything. We ended up going down that neighborhood. Sure enough, we, you know, we started taking fire, and it was, you know, it was a hell of an experience. But when we got back, the point of the story is this. When we got back, I turned to him. And I said, I said, were you not afraid? I said, you, you, you seem so poised. And he said, no, but I knew you were. And, and, and I wasn't ashamed. I mean, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you are afraid in moments like that. He said, but I knew you were. And he said, and it was incumbent on me. It was my responsibility to show you strength in that moment, because at times you've shown me strength when I didn't know what the hell was going on, or I didn't have a solution, you've shown me strength when I was scared. I knew in that moment, even though I was scared, I knew in that moment you needed me, and so I was going to give you everything I had. And I almost, I'm almost tearing up now. I, 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 I cried because I'm like, first of all, he hadn't gone to college, he, he had, he had barely finished high school, and yet he was one of the smartest people I'd ever met in my life. For him to know in that moment, I mean, obviously that's his experience talking to him. That's his love for me that was talking but you always got to be you always got to be calculated about how you are with your teammates to that degree you got to understand how they're feeling and how your behavior can impact the way that they're feeling
0: while you're kind of on that thought process we'll finish with this just leadership characteristics or things like that that you just mentioned that either players or just people under you need to see or need to hear things you've picked up from army from there at too yeah, yeah. from even your I'll, ESPN anything.
2: I'll
0: give you a, a final coach case story. This is
1: one of my favorites. And and this was, you know, of all the time that I spent there, this was this was probably the one that taught me the greatest lesson. And it gets back to this idea that that tone matters. Okay. And I think as young coaches, we run into the trap of of wanting to just pound our guys, pound our guys. So again, in 2010, the team that won the national championship, we go over to NC State and we get killed. I mean, we just play badly. Uh, I think our guys were a little bit tired. We just did not play well. We got beat by 15, something like that. And we're pissed, you know, because because not only did we did we get beat, but we played poorly and the guys just looked out of it. So we come back over to the, to Cameron, and Coach K talks to the team, and then we our coaches go into the into the coaching room, and. We sit down and coach says, look, I I, want to hear from you guys because we have to go up to Clemson. Now, here's the backstory on this. The year before we had gotten blown out at Clemson by 30, just completely embarrassed, completely embarrassed. They ran us off the floor. So after losing to NC State on a Wednesday, we have to go to Clemson and it's college game day. We're going back into the building where the year before we lost by 30. So here we are, we're sitting in the coaching room, and Coach K says, look, I need to hear from you guys because at the end of all of this, we have to beat Clemson. Like this is – there's too much history here. This is a year-long – we have to go up there. We are being sent in for the slaughter. It's college game day. Everybody is is looking to have a party. We have to beat Clemson. So how on a Wednesday, after getting absolutely hammered by NC State, do we arrive at a place where we're going to beat Clemson on Saturday? So, of course, everybody in the room except for me has played for Coach K. Wojo, Chris Collins, Nate James, Chris Carrowell. So they start, well, we got to tear all the stuff out of the locker room. (laughs) We got to take all their Duke gear. We got to run them till they puke. We go for a half hour. And then I start jumping in because I went to the Army. And, yeah, we should just yell at them and scream at them and, you know, just absolutely hammer them. And, And we go for a half hour. And part of it, and it's a good lesson for assistant coaches, part of it is we were telling coach what we thought he wanted to hear. And as assistant coaches, don't ever run into that trap. Tell him what you think. That's the most valuable thing. But we were in part telling coach what we thought he wanted to hear. So he listens to us for a half hour and he says, all right, I've heard enough. I've heard enough. He says, here's what we're going to do. And he points down at the end of the table And he says, Chris, here's what I want. I want you tomorrow to have an ice cream Sunday bar in the locker room for the players. I I said, okay, all right, we can make that happen. Now, I know uh, a lot of teams are on budgets, so ice cream sundae bar bar may not be in the cards, but just follow me here. So he says, I want you to have an ice cream sundae bar in the locker room. He says, and here's what we're going to do. Because if we go in and we do everything you guys just said, our guys aren't going to hear a word we say and we're going to lose that Clemson. He said that's what they expect. They expect to come in tomorrow and for all their stuff to be torn out of the locker room and for us to scream and yell at them. And if we do that, they're not going to hear a word we say. So what we have to do is we have to give them what they don't expect so that they hear every word we say. So when they come in tomorrow, they're going to get their ice cream We're going to go into the locker room and we're going to watch the NC State tape. And I'm not going to raise my voice above this level. We're going to talk to him. We're going to talk to him about why we played poorly. And it's going to be a conversation. He said, I think part of the reason that we lost tonight is that our guys are tired. Now, so we're not really going to practice tomorrow on the floor. They're not going to realize that, but that's going to be one of the ways that we get their legs a little bit more fresh. But we're going to talk to them this way. And if we talk to them this way, they're going to hear every single word we say, and we're going to go up and we're going to beat Clemson. Sure enough, that's what we did. We ended up beating Clemson and we ended up, you know, really creating, I think, an environment and a moment that helped lead to a national championship. But it was, you know, his experience obviously taught him that. But it was a great lesson for a young coach that sometimes give them what, they're not expecting and they'll hear you even better.
0: Awesome. We could go on with this for a long time, but we're up against the clock here. I wanna be respectful of your guys' time. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate all you do and all you've done for me. And uh, just thanks so much for, for taking this time for us. Absolutely, guys, my pleasure. Good talking to you. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.